I brought back a souvenir from Sylvan Lake. It's a bunch of dirty water in my head, so um, I'm a little congested this morning, but I hope that you'll be able to follow along. If you would open your copy of the scriptures this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today and next Sunday. Uh, This passage is a pretty lengthy passage, and 71 verses in fact. We're not going to cover it all today, but in light of communion, I wanted us to focus on a particular section of John chapter 6. And that begins with Jesus' statement in verse 35. I don't know about you, but there is a reality within the Christian faith tradition where we do some uniquely Christian things. Communion is one of them. If you come from a non-religious background, no church experience, uh, you understand what I'm about to say in that we pass out a little cup of, a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, and that seems a little odd. It's not enough to even make a little lunchable. It's kind of, there's some symbolism there, but what does that connotate? Christians are used to these things, and so we tend to lose sight of the significance of what's happening and even the oddity, perhaps, of what we do. So as we look at John chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of a discourse. He is teaching people things about himself, people who actually reject Jesus because he's not conforming to their expectations. And so as he speaks, he will use the fact that the chapter opens with Jesus feeding 5,000 people using a few pieces of bread and a few fish. The crowds take this food, they eat their fill of it, and then the next day when they come back to where that miracle happened and Jesus isn't there, they are intentional about finding him. And so they come to him, and he's on the other side of the lake. He's in Galilee, in Capernaum, and they start asking him, how did you get here? And he quickly cuts them off and says, you are not actually looking for me. You're seeking after food. Let me just tell you, he says, you are better served by not looking for physical food, but that which will bring eternal life, spiritual nourishment. So as this goes back and forth between Jesus and the things that he tells them, that I am the bread of life, that you need to feast on me, he says things that are quite provocative. We find it here in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? 
whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And for a second time, he says, I am the bread of life. He goes back to that Old Testament reality for the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God fed fed them with a food that had never been seen before that was created for them. It was called manna. Had the texture of coriander seed and it had the flavoring of honey and they could build, collect it in flakes and they could pound it and put it together and it would make a flour and it would make a bread. Jesus references that in verse 40. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no, so that one may eat of it and not die. You see, the contrast he's making here is between a physical nourishment that people could eat and it sustained them for the day, but ultimately those people died. And he's contrasting that with a heavenly manna, a heavenly bread, that once you eat of it, as he said back in verse uh, 30, I lost it, Uh, verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's contrasting these two realities, temporal versus eternal. He says it back to verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now we're starting to get to where Jesus is speaking in metaphor. To Jesus is still speaking in metaphor, but it's getting way beyond anybody's expectations. He just said, if you eat my flesh, you will have eternal life. And don't miss 52. The the Jews caught this. They disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What in the world is Jesus talking about? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Are you starting to see the connections between this and communion? from those that come from a Catholic tradition would understand that in the table we in fact do eat as the priest does the symbols and the rituals of mass this juice, wine, this bread literally because of the incantations incantations and all the ritual it literally becomes the body and the blood of Christ which is why the priest must mediate between us and God, and the priest is given the authority and the power to somehow change these things so that this takes place. Now, if that is your faith tradition, I'm not trying to attack it, but we don't believe that's what Jesus was teaching here. And I'll show you why. Because Jesus goes on to say to them in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in church, in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Now, so far what I've just read doesn't help us understand anything other than what maybe the Catholic faith is teaching. But I want to bring your attention to something that Jesus says in verse 58. The bread that comes down from heaven is not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The the situation is the two different kinds of bread. There's physical food that nourishes a physical body. There is spiritual food that nourishes a spiritual body. But there's also a participation. You physically eat real food. We're all going to have lunch today, I hope. Maybe some of us have already had breakfast. But the eating of a spiritual bread is not the same process of a physical bread. So how is it that we can partake of Christ outside of cannibalism? And let's just be honest, this is not what Jesus is talking about. And it's proven here in verses 60 and following. When many of his own disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And then he unlocks it. Look at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. This is, this is the crux of the matter. As it comes to communion and as what we are doing here this morning, we understand that the words Jesus said, as he himself said, are words of spirit and life. Therefore, the, the feast, the meal that we are going to uh, share together this morning, communion or the Lord's table, it is a spiritual partaking. Sure, we are eating physical juice and, or bread and juice, but the reality is Jesus is calling for an understanding of who he is. So let's unpack this for a few moments. In the chapter, we see two miraculous signs beginning in verse 1, that Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then as you look at verse 16 to 21, there's a second miracle of Jesus walking on water. We'll get into those more next week, the significance of those. But then in verses 22 through 66 is the real body of Jesus' teaching here in John 6. The question is, where's Jesus? So 22 through 25, we see the people trying to find him because they want more food. They like this guy who not only is a, a novel, innovative teacher and preacher, but man, he's done something nobody else has ever done. And it's clear they knew it wasn't catered, okay? 
that Kadoba uh, or somebody else didn't show up there on the hillside in the wilderness and start passing out food. They knew the sign because it, we are told that they, when they saw what was done in verse 14, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, perceiving they were about to take him by force and make him king, withdrew. So the people knew what the sign was. And that's all that they were interested in was the sign. And Jesus is now trying to get them to step up to a higher level, pursue a greater thing. And so it begins with a series of questions in verses 26 through uh, 71. Who can, they're ready to achieve any standard that God would set for them as they meet Jesus and they say, hey, he rebukes them for seeking after signs and he points them to a better way. They say in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them with, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one in him whom God has sent. And this is the crux of communion. This is the crux of the Christian faith. We are here to declare a Jesus, a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior, who was indeed sent from heaven to earth who not only lived on earth performing great miracles, things that could only be done by God himself. No human being has ever replicated these miracles. And we are to believe the testimony about this one, that he is indeed the only way we can be reconciled to the God we've all rebelled against. So there's a series of questions. In verses 28 through 29, you know, they, they're like, hey, what's the standard? We'll, we'll meet it. Verses 30 through 40, uh, prove to us that God sent you. Moses did these great signs. You have to, like, surpass Moses' signs. And then verses 41 through 51, what, what we've already read, Jesus is claiming to be divine. Uh, the Jews grumbled. He said that I am the bread that came down from heaven. We know his pedigree. Like, our kids went to synagogue with his kids, with his siblings. We know his parents. He's, he's from Capernaum here. He's from Nazareth. He's, he's one of us. How dare he say that he is divine? And then they're totally blown away by what he says in verses 52 through 59. How can he give us his flesh to eat? Now, we know this from a Christian perspective. The means by which God gave his flesh for us to eat, and remember, this is a spiritual, these, his words are spirit and life, which means that our partaking of these things are also spiritual. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for sinners. So we don't just believe in crosses as some aesthetic point of view for a building. These crosses remind us that, that Christ was crucified, surrounded by sinners who were also being crucified, but what made his unique is that there was no sin in him deserving of such treatment. What made him unique is the fact that when he went to the cross as the one sent from heaven, he had such holiness and such righteousness that his life would atone for those who were guilty and sinful. 
Jesus even asked his disciples a couple questions. Are you offended by my teaching? Well, what if you saw me go back to heaven? A reference to what would happen as they do see him ascend to heaven after his resurrection from the dead. Will you believe then? He says the spirit gives life. The flesh is no help. My words are spirit and life. And John is preparing us for what will come by what Jesus says that some of you do not believe. And that is not only representative of the disciples that stopped following him from that day because they understood Jesus to be saying a hard saying. They couldn't get their heads around. To also what we see in verse later when we're told that uh, Judas would also betray Jesus in verse 71. So as John is moving us through this passage, Jesus asks the twelve, are they going to leave as well? Look at verse 66. So many of the disciples no longer, they turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Now notice what Simon Peter says in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the confession that allows someone to come to this table and eat and drink in a worthy manner. That we believe that Jesus does indeed have the words of eternal life. You see, every single one of us one day will be gone. And this is just the beginning of things. However many years God gives us on this earth is just the beginning of eternity. And God wants us to prepare for that longer period rather than just living with our eyes focused on the moment. And the way in which we prepare for that moment is to understand that Christ was sent into the world to teach true things to people who were blinded in darkness, who were loving their sin to such an extent that they had no interest in spiritual things. And now Jesus is moving and interacting within his creation, and he also is being ignored and neglected. And yet he's going to be faithful to keep teaching and preaching the message. And some believe. And they understand that he is the Holy One of God. They have come to know that. Our goal this morning is to remind you of these truths. That the eternal God has sent his Son from heaven to earth. The Son, as Jesus says... I do nothing of my own will, but I am doing what the Father sent me to do. It is to preach the kingdom of God is coming. It is to declare that the only way to enter it is through repentance from sin and by feasting, spiritually finding nourishment and strength and life in Jesus. Let's step away from the language of eat my flesh and drink my blood to what does food and water do for us? It gives us life. It sustains life. And this is Jesus' point. You think you can have your best life now? Well, I'm telling you, your best life is only found in Christ. To know 
that your sins are indeed forgiven, to have the power to turn from hurtful, harmful behaviors where you are breaking relationships with the people around you and to be able to follow Christ with a new power and a new passion, to have your loyalties shifted from pursuing the things that you think will make you happy, well, that one didn't work this time. But if I go a step higher and go a step further, this one will indeed make me happy. And to find that Jesus says, true satisfaction is in me, and to experience that. I'm telling you, if you were to talk with a Christian, and you were to ask them this question, tell me about the difference in your life before Christ and the difference in your life after Christ. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here with us this morning, thank you for coming. I would urge you to ask any Christian you know to answer that question. Describe the difference in your life before Christ and after Christ. Because I'll, I'll just tell you, from my own personal experience, there is nothing that can explain what happened other than Jesus' words are true. That by believing in him, you are given a new life, an eternal life. We want to take this opportunity to remember the fact that Jesus took on flesh to give his life as a sin debt for us. And this table that we are about to share this morning reminds us that we believe in the testimony of the scriptures. Both Moses, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles. Salvation is a gift from God. Eternal life is not found in nirvana, not any other religion. It is found in Jesus. And those who have been redeemed from sin, who have been washed by the blood, who have been cleansed from sin, have been given a new name, a new identity, a new mission. We are to share the good news with others, to live holy lives by the power of the indwelling Spirit. And we hold fast to this confession that Peter makes here. Lord, to whom shall we go? What new theory of dieting or exercising or financial strategies, what new economic policy, what in this world is going to give us life abundantly? Nothing. Lord, there is no other option, Peter says. You alone have the words of eternal life, and we believe that. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Christian, let me just urge you, as we wind things down and prepare for the Lord's table, hold fast to the faith. I have limited knowledge of the things that are happening within our congregation, but what I do know is that many of us are suffering in a multitude of ways. I'm thankful for Jerry's prayer for us this morning as a church. Some of us are are living out our faith through the flood and some through the fire. Hold fast to the faith. Understand that there may be hard times to the Christian life. Our best life is not now. It is in the days to come. When the old is totally gone, done away with and all things have become new, 
that, that spiritual transformation, that shift, that, that switch that turns from before Christ to after Christ, certainly there's enough evidence there to give us hope and to give us encouragement. And there are so many changes that come with a confession of faith in Christ and a true belief in Him. But those are all just appetizers for that final and full redemption that is promised to us. That when we are dead in Christ, we will see Him and know Him as He truly is. So Christian, hold fast to your faith. And understand this as well. The hard truths of the faith are not to be avoided. And when we see people who walk away from Jesus, as is mentioned here, and we'll dig into it more next week, don't let that discourage you. Understand, it has been that way since Jesus himself walked the earth. And in fact, what we know is that they weren't believers in the first place because no one can leave the faith once God brings them in. We believe in eternal security. We believe the Bible teaches that. If you're a non-Christian and you're here with us this morning, not only would I encourage you to ask a Christian to describe their life before Christ and after Christ, but I would also ask you to consider this. Ask God to show you who his son is. We've scratched the surface of chapter 6. I'd encourage you to come back next week as we take a deeper dive in it. But if, if you were to sincerely ask God to show you who Jesus is, and you were to read this book, this gospel of John, I believe God will teach you things about Jesus that will blow your mind. In fact, we as a church, we have blue Bibles scattered throughout these, this auditorium, and you're welcome to take one of those copies home with you. And you can find the Gospel of John in there, and that's a gift from our church to you. Read it. Ask God to reveal the Son to you. So Christian, when we come to the table, we have to understand that what we're doing here is something that is unique. It is not a reenactment of the death of Christ. It is a reminder that in Christ we have eternal life and that we need Christ for eternal life. And so what we do here, the symbolism of a broken body and shed blood, yes, those are there. But the bigger reality that those symbols point to is that our need is daily to sustain ourselves by the power of the Spirit in Christ. Jesus is so strong, his righteousness is so sure that no one can pluck us from the Father's hand, but also that we need to seek him daily through his word, weekly through gathering with the body. So don't, don't believe that you can be a Christian who's, hey, I made this profession of faith back on this date in 1996 or whenever it was, and then, you know, I'm good. Those people who wandered the wilderness, they needed manna every day. I don't think it's by accident that Jesus used that illustration to remind us that we need him every day. And at times, maybe even every hour. Lord, we pray that you would help us to wrestle through these realities. And as we think and meditate on who you are and the promises that you've made to us, may we see the sweetness of our Savior. 
may we delight in His goodness. And as we celebrate this table this morning, we do so recognizing that Your Son was sent to take the wrath that we deserved. And that this supper is intended to be celebrated by believers. Those who, like Peter, have believed that Christ alone has the words of eternal life and have come to know that He is the Holy One of God. We confess that in Christ's death, resurrection, we have the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we pray that there might be some who are in our room this morning and in this gathering who are yet to come to know You. We pray that they would explore the claims of Christ. They would ask the Christians that they know to describe their life before and after. They would ask God, in fact, to teach them who Christ is, to reveal to Him the One whom the Father has sent from heaven to show them who Christ is and find Him in the Word. Lord, we pray Your blessing as we receive this bread and this cup. Nourish Your people with the steadfast hope that Christ is all. He is all we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.